Hi everyone, myself Gaurav Mangla, I'm co-founder and CEO at Ticker. There are two broad themes of how startups disrupt traditional businesses. They either take the path of disintermediation or they take the path of intermediation. D2C brands like Mama Earth or Boat are taking the path of disintermediation. They are removing middlemen and want to sell directly to the customer. On the other hand, a company like Zomato is following the path of intermediation. It has inserted itself as a middleman between consumers and restaurants. You might think that intermediation is bad, but intermediaries exist because they add value. No one is going to go back to ordering food by calling restaurants because Zomato does such a fabulous job of it. In the logistics space, Pico is doing something similar. They have built an asset light logistics platform which aggregates logistics service providers and companies seeking logistics services. In this episode of the Founder Thesis podcast, your host Akshay Dutt talks to Gaurav Mangla, the co-founder of Pico. Gaurav is a serial entrepreneur whose first venture was in the B2B SaaS space and in this candid conversation, he talks about his lessons from his decade-long journey as an entrepreneur and about selling Picker to the logistics unicorn Shiprocket for a cool $200 million. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming platform to learn from some of the smartest entrepreneurs in the country. I left IIT Guwahati. In IIT Guwahati too, I did two internships. One was a research internship in Europe. Dad showed me that I have not a material for research. Then the second internship was an internship at a startup, which was a three-year-old startup at that point of time. and was grinding. When I joined there as an intern, I used to work with a 10-15-odd people team. They were, I think, only 10-15-odd people in that startup at that stage. So, saw a lot of flesh, a lot of innovation, a lot of hard work, grind kind of stuff there. So, that was the first exposure to a startup ecosystem. And then when I got into consulting in Bangalore, a lot of friends around me used to work at places like Flipkart, which was kind of a startup at that point of time. Place some other places also where the startup culture was getting into. And I myself thought of, I had to work at a startup. I can't work into a big company. And then I saw the exit of that consulting company where I was working. That was also a startup only, but that got acquired somewhere. So there was a lot of things around me. And then eventually me and two of my friends, in fact, third, three of my friends, like all four of us, decided to start something of our own and then we'll figure out what to do, what not to do. And this was uh, your college friends who joined you? Yeah, like two IIT college friends. Guwahati. Yeah, 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 two IIT Guwahati college friends and one was a person who joined with me who is the founder of Picker as well. Ankit Kids was from IIT Kanpur, but we both joined that consulting firm around the same timeline. So he okay. became a friend there. Yeah. So what did you identify as the area to build your startup in? See, at that point of time, I was fond of programming. I wanted to land into a programming job and I was preparing and I saw a lot of platforms where, you know, you can code and you can compile. There was a lot of good innovation stuff. And we felt that let's take these offline interviews to online rather than just allow because we felt that somehow Physically appearing for an interview is a big daunting task and there are a lot of nuances to it and there can be a good opportunity not only just to interview but to teach people as well programming. In way back in this was I think November, December, just five to six months into the job, we started thinking around this 
And we thought that let's make something for fun. It was not a startup actually at that point. Right? It was like, let's make a product, something for fun. We made it in the odd months. And then through some friend circles, we did some pilots in colleges where we organized certain hackathons and ran those hackathons on our MVP product, which was just built part-time. And after three to four months of those validations, we thought that now in, I think in July, August 2014, we thought that now time has come that we need to go full-time and launch this product in the market. Okay. So that's what was the product you launched? Help me understand. So it was a product which was half window was a peer-to-peer video conferencing. Half window was a code compiler, like a Google Doc, where multiple people can code and compile the same code. And I write that code in 14 odd languages. Okay. Uh, and by language here, added, you're not talking Hindi, English, you're talking like Python. Python, yeah, yeah. Python, C, C plus, Java, mm-hmm. like almost every famous language, wherever you like, whatever you want to code, you can code in that. Okay. And so... Uh, this was like you thought of it as what, like a way for remote teams to work together? And what did you think of the product? Well? What was the use case? So first two use cases were taking programming interviews and teaching people programming. Kind of a thing that can fit into geeks for geeks kind of products that can fit into hacker ranks, hacker kind of products. So it was that kind of a product at that point of time, which was not there. So that product was, I would say, two years early into the market. Later on, a lot of folks came around and launched such products. I we were lucky to get that product adopted not only in India, in outside India as well. In London, I remember a few of our clients used it for taking interviews in a university in London and then some other places also in Europe it got used. And in India also in various IITs it got used. So we got a decent adoption, but the pricing and mechanism of all those stuff was not working out. And what, was the, the, what was your go-to bucket? Like, how did you get this adoption? Was it just like word of mouth, people discovering? Yeah. Network effect, I would say we had a lot of friends who used to work in companies and a lot of our seniors, like when this is a good thing that happens in every hostel that if you see, if you engage with almost three years seniors to you guys, so those guys in two to three years in job also will be much more senior at some places. So engaging college network, asking people then to, you know, engaging some companies also and then going to in Bangalore it's very easy to access any startup go to places like NASCOM and all accessing those places we took ourselves we first office we built in NASCOM only that you know we'll sit with all our clients only and then poking everyone like we got zoom cars from NASCOM we got a lot of other clients then we got you uh, like you were incubated by NASCOM or you like took a place on rent there so it was on rent only at that point of time yeah we were not, we didn't receive any funding from NASCOM. But the first angel round that happened was through a lot of folks from NASCOM only. Uh, but eventually that, before that angel round put over, we eventually gave up on the business to be really frank. And, okay, that, tell me that, what made you realize that it doesn't have legs? You must have felt like, what was the... See, a lot of people, see, even today also, apart from Nokri, no such portal has really kicked off really well in India. To kick it off, you have to have a global access. Second, the product, like people were evaluating folks, but eventually there was a higher opportunity there. Someone was getting a job of 30 lakhs through our portal and we were getting 10 rupees. And how much, how many of such interviews can happen on like this? And then the India was very much price conscious as well. I would say 80% of the failure would be our mindset. 20% would be external factors. But that is something that we learned at the very start that 
we don't need to give up so easily say i like today also no other portal has succeeded that much in the market even after 8 years so it's not a, something that i feel good about him but something that we made a product we made that product with a lot of heart and now it just stands something that we built and gives us confidence only that you can build anything but that's that's all about it so we gave it to a company and we went for it will do so like yeah, that yeah. Uh, acquired your ip it was like a ip acquisition Yeah, they just acquired a product, and yeah. we were also there. But then we thought that we start something again, and this well, time well, we will start before, something before very concretely. We come to the next thing you started. You said eighty percent was your fault. What do you mean by that? Did you not price it well, or did you not raise money and then spend money to grow it because you need money to grow? Money, money was not a challenge there because there was an angel round that was happening. I think it was something that all four of us were not aligned with to scale with. Okay, you all had different yeah. views on what it will yeah. scale to become the mobile scale or not, and we gave up quickly. So that was there was some learnings, and those were majorly cultural learnings. On the financial front, and all that product was generating money. It was generating ten odd lakh rupees monthly revenue, and we had no team. We only four people were there. All four founders, all four of us, all three of us used to code, and one one used to sell. Selling was also getting. Networkly, and by was getting scaled by network effect. We had a lot of inbounds. People expected us to do sourcing as well. People expected us to do screening as well. So now we see a lot of you know interview platforms coming up where some other guy is is interviewing outside the universe of the company. So there have been a lot of you know things coming up in hiring. But personally, what I have seen is apart from Nokia dot com, there has been no significant scale up anywhere else. On the portal side of things, at least. And what was the disconnect between the four of you? There was no such disconnect. It was mainly like that we all had sessions that we should do something else rather than. So eventually, out four people, three people were in the next stage. One guy he took a job in Facebook and went outside India, but three are still in were in the next stint of the startup. So there was no cultural difference between all four of us. It was understanding that we might have ended in the wrong domain that. Might have been a wrong call, but it is past now. So that's what under the bridge. Okay. So then, what was the next thing you decided to do, the three of you? So we thought that, like, we looked after a lot of places. We thought of starting something, a lot of stuff. Till that one day, we thought that logistics is a space which is has big legs, and we want to do something very significant, and we want to pick up a bigger problem. So let's solve a two-hour delivery solution for Pan India, and this is the this was the step we took in 2015 June, and within 15 days we launched Picker. We called another guy. Uh, yeah, gone. Uh, two-hour three-hour delivery in 2015 with oh, was it a thing? But because all these hyper-local startups are coming in now, right? What was the use case for two-hour three-hour? Yeah, yeah, in 2000. In 2015, it was a thing. Yeah, it was like there was Roadrunner, there was Tinya, all there was. They were picking. Oh, they were almost 15 odd startups started simultaneously. And we were might be the 22nd, third month. But <laughs> okay. three years from that day, three years uh, like in 2018, only two, three out of 23 survived, and we were one of those 23 of those of two, three don't survive. And now also only those three have survived. Picker is running something else. Some other guy is running something else. So those companies who were very much unit economics focused or who were not willing to just burn the money has survived and scaled into different domains, but into logistics only. So this is how 
on day zero, you cannot determine what will be your startup will look like five years down the line. And if similar grind you would have done in optimized bits, that might also have shaped something else. But it's a coin flip thing that happens. And sometimes it is a learning only left out of it. So uh, you wanted to do that Roadrunner Shadowfax model where you would have these gig workers who would come on the platform and accept transportation, pick up drop assignments. That was the plan. Yeah, that was the plan. So we enrolled those gig workers on our payroll at that point of time. In fact, on your payroll? Okay. Not as gig workers. Yeah, yeah. Give them fixed salary. Yeah, no. So we used to give them fixed salary. Apart from that, transactional cost as well for petrol and bike repair and all those kind of stuff as well. And yeah. that we enrolled in. How did you source these like riders? There were a lot of agencies at that point of time. Sourcing was not a problem. Main problem was managing their compensation because market was very competitive. Everybody needed delivery boys. So a delivery boy used to hire in 15,000. You might end up paying him 25,000 if you retain him for a year. Okay. Because of incentives yeah. and all of that. Not only just incentives, there was crazy money flowing into the ecosystem. If someone raises 50 million, even next day higher. Then there were companies like Delivery and on also, who were also expanding at that point of time. So every logistics company, every hyperlocal company, everyone needed delivery boys. Every food delivery company needed delivery boys. Okay, okay. And what kind of, who were your early customers? Were these like so restaurants? was 1MG. Yeah, it was, it was 1MG. It was Snapdeal. A few restaurants as well in South Delhi. Then we had some e-commerce customers as well who were running their own Langa kind of stores. Then some in Shahpur Jat and yeah, there were big names you would recognize would be Snapdeal 1MG. And for Snapdeal 1MG, you were doing what? Like last mile or was it like hyper-local? Yeah, yeah. For, Snap, for, Snap, no, for Snapdeal, we were delivering to our delivery in Gurgaon. For 1MG also, we were doing it for Delhi NCR. Like same day delivery, not to our delivery. Wow. Okay. Okay. So then what? You eventually pivoted away from that model. So what was the realization that, what was that point of realization when you realized that we need to pivot? See, that model, getting business is relatively easy. Sustaining the business is the toughest part. And you need a huge scale to sustain and to burn such kind of a mechanism, to burn such kind of money. I sustain, you mean like fulfilling the orders, like you can get order volumes, but to fulfill orders, you can fulfill also orders, but eventually the cost to revenue mechanism was not building up. Unit economics was not working out really well. People were, if you go to small players, they would pay you 20, 20, 25 rupees per delivery. If you go to medium sized players, they can pay you 20 or rupees per delivery. They were not paying premium for two hour delivery. People, as you day, people wanted a two to three hour delivery, but they were paying like the same tier next day. And apart from that, eventually it boils down to math that we are earning 20 rupees and we are spending 28 rupees. That kind of a, it's like a six to eight rupees loss per order. So then eventually we raised one angel round for a 1.26 crore and which got over. And this was in, I think we started in June, July and the round happened somewhere around in October. 2015, November 2015, yeah. And we were able, we almost got finished in like April 2016. Our money got over, which we raised. But business was still there. And then we had a survival round in August. I think for August 2016 of another 1.1 crore. So total 2.35 crore. And then after that next survival round, 
the first thing we did was we removed every operational capability that we had. Yeah, we removed. You realized that you were in a constant race to raise money to manage your costs and meet your payroll and all. And so you needed to figure out a way to not be in that constant race because every order you were losing money. Yeah. So we thought of how in the same business we can make money. So first of all, what we thought was that, you know, can we outsource our first mile? If you are spending eight rupees on first mile, can we reduce it to three or four rupees? Someone else who has this network can bear this cost for us. Mm-hmm. Then who can do the last and mile? First, do we need to do this? Just define this. What is first mile and what is last mile? First mile is picking from the vendor's warehouse and bringing it to some standard warehouse. It can be a picker or it can be someone else's well. Last mile is someone who picks from hubs warehouse and the delivery if delivery has to happen in Gurgaon. Someone picking from Gurgaon and delivering it to the last the last point. And middle mile is from yeah yeah customer doorstep. Middle mile is from the pickup warehouse. The from the shipment got picked up from there to go getting it to the last mile warehouse. So this middle mile was not that a thing if you were in like doing a good account to good account for either what for either what daily to daily kind of a delivery. But it was a thing if you're doing from Gurgaon to, you know, Noida kind of a delivery. From, you know, Faridabad to a non-Delhi kind of a delivery. So we thought that what are these points? We thought of it very operationally as well, mathematically as well. And we figured out there are certain vendors like franchises of various courier companies or some Kirana stores guys who have some manpower. They have bandwidth. They're already sustaining those people on the fixed salary thing. And now just we can utilize their vehicle, their manpower to get this thing played out in Delhi NCR. So that thing got worked out for us. And eventually we were able to come to a break-even kind of a situation in one odd year. And then we realized that... What did this setup look like? So basically you went to an asset light mode where you decided to plug in vendors for each step of the logistics process yeah, yeah. So that, and variableize your cost. So you no longer have a payroll of riders that you have to meet every month, but you have only variable costs where you pay per transaction, like per pickup or per drop. So what did yeah. this look like? Just help me understand what kind of people so were first, in first, first place. Yeah, first pivot was that people like shop owners, they were doing the pickups for us from the warehouses of all our clients. Then they were bringing those parcels to their own warehouses. And then there was that same vendor delivering it if it's in the Gurgaon area, if it's in the same city. If it's in some other city, then some other vendor from other cities should do, we used to do a pickup from their warehouse and deliver it there. So eventually we made all these transactions completely fulfilled through Picker. We monitored, we regularized as well as we saw the training piece of it and monitoring piece of it of this entire process. And after another, like in November 2016, we were able to scale it to this model. And how were you standardizing quality and all that? Like you had an app for the vendors who were using it? Yeah, we had a vendor app. We had an internal app. We have vendor managers, those kind of apps as well. And every, there were, you know, on every cluster, there were cluster managers and picker who were absorbing what's happening in those clusters. And how the inter-clusters are playing out. Intra-cluster is very easy to manage, but intra-cluster playing out was the another nuance. And then we there was COD as well. There was a lot of cash getting exchanged between those vendors. Securing that cash was also another learning. Then there were returns as well when you do a COD shipment. Securing those returns and getting them delivered back to customers were always another challenge. So we got into this model and we ran it for almost a year and a half. 
and then we so you, you were essentially a software product at that stage you were building software which would and uh, which would allocate work like and a customer orders a drop and so the software will see okay what's the customer location what is the drop location then it would uh, route that order to somebody to pick up from customer point to warehouse and then it would route it from warehouse to the drop point so that your efforts were essentially on building that software to manage this whole process yeah so there were two ways to look at it internally you're saying what you're saying is right we were internally a complete software product only until today we are internally a software product for our customers we were a courier company we were delivering partners only we never told that we are using x network y network that network it's our network we are responsible for this so if anything goes wrong in pick up middle mile last mile any stage of the parcel being active we are responsible for it. If anything goes good, we are responsible for it. So eventually we planned out like this way. We charged like a courier company and internally we managed our cost. So in a year or so, we became a break-even in that model. We reached to almost three and a half crore a month kind of a revenue. And what kind of then customers also, say 1MG, Snapdeal were the major customers? We were not able to win large customers because our costing was somewhere around 20-22 rupees. And we couldn't, since we had very limited money, we couldn't afford to burn money. So we thought of that. See, main thing for us, main vision for us to validate whether this will work out or not. This is also sometimes very important. You can't just blindly go and scale something. So we needed to do that validation, whether this is the business to be in, this is the business to scale, or third is, are we the right people to scale this business? So that learning also came a lot. And then we also... Tried doing warehousing as well for a year or so. Uh, uh, You you didn't tell me what kind of customers you had. Like what these were like, okay, small D2C brands or these customers were mainly small D2C brands or uh, such shop owners or franchise stores delivering parcels of C2C people. Like customer to customer, like whenever you or me, people like you or me go to some franchise, give him some packet and he gets it delivered through bloat. So business was a small bomb of shops who are delivering on their own portal or who are selling on a certain call center kind of channels. WhatsApp, that time WhatsApp sending was also not there. Third was like TV shopping was there like at that point of time. There was a lot of magnet TV shopping. So those TV shopping guys, these three, four kinds of customers were there. Okay, okay. Got it. Okay. And so you were saying you tried warehousing, but warehousing the was... Next step was hmm. The next step was, can we manage the warehouse of these clients? Because these are very small clients. And they don't, they will not be able to do proper packaging. They will not be able to do proper dispatch. They are just randomly packaging things. They are incurring losses due to breaking of products or sending wrong products or sending something else. There are a lot of inefficiencies. So we thought of getting into warehouse business for these guys as well. And that point of time, we also envisioned, you know, can we get into an Amazon Prime kind of a business as well? Store products at multiple locations. And enable a quicker delivery rather than doing a three to six day kind of a delivery at that point of time. So we thought of a lot of stuff and then we decided let's add this vertical to our current business rather than getting into a, some parallel vertical. But eventually we did it for a year or so and it didn't make a lot of money. It in fact brought a lot of loss to us. So then we thought that let's not get into this. And you know, we'll so add, without the time was progressing. Help me understand that what value at that warehousing function did. So without the warehousing function, the flow would be that customer places an order, then you pick up from customer's warehouse or shop 
and you directly drop it off to the drop point to the receiving customer. That was the flow? Yeah, that was the flow. Okay. You didn't have a warehouse of your own in the middle? Like we didn't add any warehouse. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then you decided yeah, to add warehouse. Yeah, we decided to add warehouses. We partnered with certain vendors. We took spaces from them mm. on rent. And then we mm. started doing it for the same people. But we did it for a year so or they, so. They, then what would them. happen is that when a customer places an order, a drop order, so you pick up from the customer side, take it to a warehouse, and then it goes to the drop, to the no, receiver. No. So we used to send them that you are having these kind of orders in a month. Send this much inventory to our warehouse. And as soon as an order comes, our guys in the warehouse is those parcels. And then we used to give it to a person who will eventually deliver it. If it's an intercity order, last mail vendor will come directly to our warehouse to deliver it. If it's an intercity order, we used to give it to a courier company from our warehouse. And then we onboarded a lot more customers and eventually sustained a same two and a half, three crore kind of a revenue business. And then... Again, but the thing was, this model was also not scalable. And it was again cash burning, as well as a lot of inefficiencies were there. What was the problem with it? Like the extra earning that you were getting was not helping you meet the expenses. Like your expenses would be rent and manpower when you run a warehouse. Rent, manpower, liability of that inventory, inefficiencies, loss, damage, everything was our thing only at that point of time. And you were, we started getting courier companies also onboarded at that point of time. Then eventually, For this, was this a pricing problem that Berlin. you didn't price it properly, the warehousing service? I, it was, I would say every vendor that we had or every customer that we had at that point of time felt that their mother house was cheaper than warehouse managed by us. So it was a sentiment plus pricing problem. They thought that why we are paying 10 rupees extra on a parcel when eventually we are incurring a cost of two people in our warehouse whose salary are around 30 odd thousand and eventually we are paying picker 70-80,000 a month why to incur that extra 30-40,000 cost hmm. okay 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 got it got it yeah. but eventually this warehouse model the, the, sorry yeah yeah go on no, you finished your point like the value well, my point was the value add that we should have brought at that point of time should have been even in production of RTOs or some faster delivery. What is warehouse management was not returned. Like any COD parcel gets returned as well. Now that you know, I don't want this parcel. Customer refusal also is part of return. ODA is also part of return or some other nuance. So eventually we were not able to deliver significant value to our customers as well. So we didn't have too much reason that we would have shown that you are spending this extra 40,000 rupees, but you are saving 4 lakh rupees. So that wow extractor we were not able to generate out of the warehouse. That if we were just getting losses on the liabilities and people started making money from us through our warehousing model. Yeah, it's like everybody used to raise disputes that my parcel was broke, my parcel yeah. was lost, and there was too many recons. And you know, there was a lot of recon nuances start coming up. But you mean reconciliation, like reconciling reconciliation. what the vendor sent you, yeah. like what the manufacturer sent you, and what you are showing on your dashboard. And also, we didn't build tech around it. We built, we were managing it through a lot of manual processes. So there were certain inefficiencies. So now the call came. That whether we should build a tech around this business and scale this warehousing business or we should not do it until unless we figure out the X factor. So we thought that we will not do it until we figure out the X factor because if you would have made tech on it, 
we would have to deploy a tech team, hiring a tech team, maintaining a tech talent is even more costly, expensive and difficult in India. And so we thought that you know, if, tech, if, if, yeah, if tech also comes now, still are we able to figure out the X factor that we wanted to display to our customers? Will our customers pay us 10 rupees rather than 5-6 rupees? Can we charge 20 rupees? We didn't have an answer to those questions. At that point of time. So now 2019 came. Question, so far you were only Delhi NCR or were you Pan-India or like by the time you we hit Pan-India. Like we, we were Pan-India in 2016 December. Okay. Okay. So yeah. you actually had warehouses in multiple cities and... See, warehousing thing, we started only in Delhi NCR, Bangalore, okay. Jaipur and Mumbai. Okay. Delivering thing through multiple vendors. We started in December 2016. And you were mostly doing intercity or like nearby, like short distance, say Noida to North Delhi or within Gurgaon or within Bangalore. Like so that, right? from 2015 June to December 2016, we were mainly 90%, 95% doing nearby thing only. From December 2016, we were delivering Pan India. So we had vendors who used to come to go to customers' warehouse, pick it up, bring it to their own warehouse, either hand it over to a local vendor who would deliver nearby things. Some vendors did themselves. Some gave it to someone else to do it. Or go to Faridabad to Noida, definitely someone else came to their warehouse to pick it up. Now for Pan India, courier companies started coming to their warehouse to pick it up. We started contracting with courier companies that we are your customers and you have to deal with us. We are not an aggregator. We are you have to pick from our warehouses. You don't have to pick directly from customers' warehouses. Till 2018, we went on to scale this model. Okay, so the advantage of adding warehouses was that you added one more player in the ecosystem, which is the courier company. Yeah, yeah. And further, for to, to manage our first mile, last mile vendors, they can also drop things at our warehouse rather than at their warehouse because there was another handshake on the liability thing. So now there were two legs of liability. We reduced it to one leg as well. And further, in those warehouses, we were able to sort out weight discrepancies as well. That now we know the actual weight of the shipment rather than sending a seller telling us. So there were some good factors, but some bad factors. And at that point of time, I would say we were not matured enough to, you know, to deploy that kind of money. We didn't have that much money excess. Further, again, that answer to the question that can we scale this model? came up, you know, perfectly. It was like some three and a half, four crore monthly revenue business is shaping up, which is on a yearly churn and retention growth and keeping all those sectors. We are able to sustain it on two and a half, three crores. In two and a half, three crores, you are able to make a 20% gross margin and you have a 40, 50 lakh salary. So it's like a 10 lakh, 15 lakh monthly profitable business that is shaping up. And we ran this business like this for almost a year and a half. Till 2019, and I would say we ran it. And then we came up that we don't want to run this business traditionally. We want to make it into a big business. So we stopped all our bleeding accounts. Wherever we were, some in some accounts you were making money, in some accounts you were bleeding money. Then eventually our revenue came to a, a crore and a half, I think around two odd crores of a sustainable revenue with a, a 22% kind of, 25% kind of a gross margin. So we just corrected the business that we had. And then we thought that now we have tried a lot of stuff. We have seen e-commerce, we have seen warehousing, we have seen last mile, we have seen the connectivity vendors, we have seen packaging, we have seen almost everything some around logistics except for you know cold chain, cold storage, etc. Those kind of things. And we have done a lot of enterprises in our journey. We have done last mile for big players. We have done this network thing that we were doing in between 
for some big players as well. Not that big, but decently sized players. And then we also saw emergence of a lot of D2C that was shaping up. Like when we started in 15, 16, that point of time, D2C was hardly 3-4% of the total e-commerce. But by 2019, they became somewhere around 12 to 15 odd percent of the market, which was sizable. And everybody was thinking about opening their own brand. This was late 2019. And then we took a pause that all the same team we had, we, which we had in 2015, 16, 2019, all of us as a group decided that let's figure out what we have actually learned and where we failed in the last three, four years. And let's do a complete business model that now we will not touch any parcel. We will not do first mile also. We will just do proper aggregation. And we will do it for, you know, enterprises. We will not do it for small scale players. Or I would say long tail, anyone who has one parcel a week. So we quantifiedly called it, anyone who does above 3000 parcels a month is our customer. And anyone below 3000 orders a month should not be our customer. If they come into a product, we will handle them the way we handle enterprises. But it will not be something like we don't want them to or themselves get onboarded. We don't want to do a sales or product thing with them. We don't want, uh, we will not want to give them a robust support. We will give them the support that we are building for enterprises. And let's go on and scale this business. And eventually we got into the model that we have today. And the starting point was this model was 2019 December. And no, then you, three to four months. Yeah. What made you decide this cutoff of 3000 orders a month? Like you saw that, that these are the From profitable accounts. Yeah, from so these are not just profitable accounts, these are high volume accounts. So when you are doing an aggregation thing, you have to balance your courier companies, your supply vendors. You have to give them enough volume so that, you know, you can get better pricing. So the larger customers, you will make lesser money, but with the volumes of those large customers, you will make more money in small customers. So like we had buckets of three to 10,000 and 10,000 plus customers. In 10,000 plus customers, you are making five, 6% margin. In three to 10,000 customers base, we were making almost into 20% margin. And we took the, all these data points from our learnings that we had in like past four odd years of doing everything. So we thought that let's pick up and become an enterprise thing. And one question that I told you is very important for every entrepreneur to learn. Whether he or she, uh, the, whether the founding team is the right team to scale this business or not. So we are very confident on you know, that we can scale an enterprise business. We have demonstrated a survival on a decent size, sizable business for almost four years without less, without much money as well. You know, those were, and there were certain other learnings that we are operationally able to serve these clients. We know what these clients need. We know their ground operations. We know what is their expectation and how they are able to scale beyond the ecosystem of Amazon and Flipkart. So these were the core deep diving things that we had. And we, in 2019, we thought that, you know, let's go all in. We are already wasted four years of thinking about what's happened and what should happen, what should not happen. Now it's enough is enough. This is the model that we will scale and we'll go all in this. And then in three months, yeah. had you yeah, been work. doing enterprise sales? Did you have a sales team? Because enterprise accounts means more sales effort, longer sales cycle and all that. So what you get for that, like... Yeah, Pre-2019. It's like our founding team only, everybody became a salesman. When you are in four years figuring out things and talking to people, eventually you end up becoming a sales guy. And, okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, got it. And you said in 2019, you decided you did not want to have any touch point with the package. What does that mean? Like you wanted to eliminate all the touch oh, points? Yeah, we, we want to eliminate warehousing. We want to eliminate all the middle mile, first mile, last mile vendors. Let's do a proper courier aggregation. 
Courier guys will go to pick up from, you know, customers warehouse. They will only deliver it. We will just focus on allocating better courier, delivering high performance and give you giving deep dive analytics to the brand so that, you know, they can enhance their last mile thing. So there was a study in Paytm that emerged that the majority of the e-commerce brands, NPS, is being driven by their last mile. Like how the package reaches the package reaches the customer, how quickly it reaches, how uh, like the experience that you are able to give in your communication channels with the customer, and you are giving clear visibility and also getting to know your customer well for any brand that was really important. So bringing solving that service layer, so transferring anything from point A to point B is a commodity thing, but bringing a service over that commodity which can get a better experience was something that we tried to solve at that point of time, through aggregation only. So that was our first product. And, and in 2009, would you, we started with that. Would you be aggregating multiple people? Would you be making a chain here? This vendor, part, this courier company go does till here and then there's a handoff where the no. second courier company takes over? Or did you just do pure, like there are 10 courier companies which can do this entire transaction. Which of those 10 should I select for this? Yeah, yeah, we did a pure aggregation. Okay, okay. So the... There would be just a single courier company which would manage the whole thing, but you had algorithms to decide which courier company each order should be allocated to. Yeah, so what we did was, see, from day zero, we had a thing that we will be the face of the customer. So again, we are, we acted like a courier company, we sold a product like a courier company, and eventually at the back end, we would deploy the best courier company to fulfill those orders. And the factors were the pricing expectation of customer, the lane delivery performance of the courier company in past 15 to 30 days, also, certain other dynamics that are, you know, this company is tech-driven and gives proper communication, whether you this brand, whatever, as per the requirement of the brand, as per the, uh, you can say, the heuristics of the logistics are required to scale that brand, we were able to customize the product. And that became a very good thing for us. That became the USP of Picker. So a lot of anyone who was scaling in D2C brand used to come to us. People in the early stages also came to us, but we had a very bad experience with us because we were doing less than 3,000 orders a month. So till 2020 December, we did only enterprises. And after that, we launched that now let's become a self-serve channel. And we, we started taking steps towards 500 to 1,000. And then eventually we served everyone from zero to two lakh orders a month. In 2019, we had a checklist that what went wrong for us, what could have done in this model. Now we are pivoting to this model. What are the key areas that we can learn from market competition and all those things? You made a list. We completely went on a pause mode on the business side for three months before COVID. And we were like solving that checklist for us. And after that, the COVID happened again. We got some extra time to solve for a checklist. And in 2020, June, I think, yeah, May end or June first week, we started getting business back. But every competitor was the same standing line. And the pause that we took eventually helped us a lot. And again, we were from like almost a two crore to a zero kind of our business June. In July, we started with almost with a customer base, almost 5x. We started somewhere around three and a half, four crore. By October, we gave, came to a number of six and a half crores. And then by March, we came to a number of 11 and a half crores per month. Wow, that's massive growth. Okay. You said you had a checklist of things to fix. These fixes were like software fixes or what were these fixes? Yeah, yeah. Some were fixes and some were builds. We did have a product for this model entirely. So the builds got prioritized, fixes also happened in parallel. But that was the only thing that we were doing in those three, four months. Uh, what, Sustaining what, the existing business. 
what is the product like, for this plugins? Yeah. We didn't have plugins for various, you can say, app stores or places where people build websites like Shopify, WooCommerce, Magento, OpenCart, and all those kinds of stuff. We didn't have a lot of communication products. We didn't have customer-facing analytics. We had a lot of analytics for internal reports. So we automated every manual process uh, that is there. And we also made every plugin compatible with our product or every place wherever sellers are dealing with orders compatible with Picker. Those are the two major fixes. But after that, they were like optimization and all those kind of things. You're saying that one is you need to integrate with your customer through Shopify and WooCommerce and all these e-commerce tools which are used to build e-commerce platforms. All your customers were into e-commerce or did you also have, say, traditional businesses which may not be looking at e-commerce but which... Yeah, yeah. so we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, differentiate it between traditional businesses or e-commerce businesses. We had both kind of cu- both kind of customers. For e-commerce businesses, those plugins were mandatory. For And that way, that was one of the reasons we didn't have too many e-commerce customers into our aggregation product initially. For traditional people, we needed to give them a lot of tools so that they can upload orders, get everything in real time. What are they getting in the market and what can be surfaced through our product? Can we make it very easy for these guys without knowing any tech? Just go on, see a screen and do everything in minutes, then minutes to seconds. So these kind of optimizations we solved for them as well. So, give so me there was a checklist of almost 100, businesses. 100 plus things. Yeah, sorry, yeah, finish so your thing. Traditional businesses are like businesses like people who are just running their parents' business in different areas of markets and have certain online orders as well. Some are fulfilling self-shipping orders of Amazon. Some are fulfilling from their warehouse to distributors, then distributors to retail. Then some people are getting orders through, you can say, Multiple channels, like some are getting through apps like City Mall, etc. Some are getting through Odan, some are getting through some TV shopping like Naptol and all. So those kind of traditional vendors. Okay, okay. okay. So for these vendors, you had a way to for them to upload a spreadsheet with the, in a certain template. And so that would then be something which... That would do the entire magic for them. They don't have to worry about shipping labels. They don't have to worry about core elevation. They don't have to worry about pickup scheduling. They don't have to worry about and like if a parcel gets rejected by a consumer or if it's not reaching the consumer, if there are certain hassles, everything gets automated through a streamlined workflow channel. What were those automations you built to make the logistics work? This You said that you don't have to worry about sticking labels. How did you automate all of that? Or delivery failed and all of these things or returned? Or- See, we, had, we, we, were, we integrated almost 12 word companies and every company had their own nuances. They, every company had their own formats. So... We were not in offering these are 10 companies select of it. We were offering like we are a Korea company single. So upload order, we will allocate it to whoever you want. We will give you a single formatted shipping label. We'll give you a single formatted manifest. We will display analytics in a single way and courier-wise way as well. With what all got used and how they all performed. How is our algorithm working good or bad? If we, we are able to improve your performance or not. And for NDR also, we were able to give them that 10 orders of yours were attempted today, 5 got delivered, 3 got rejected, 2 got failed. And these are the reasons. And we we will take necessary steps if you want to add some things into your step or some instructions you want to add, just add those instructions. As soon as the instructions went to Korea companies, and then we ensure that these workflows are actually adhered to or not. And, and NDR is non-delivered return, something like yeah, that. Yeah, non-delivery report. Non-delivery report. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Got it, got it. And, okay. 
Did the courier companies integrate with you through APIs? Was it like entire software integration with the courier companies? Yeah, whoever, like, like some people had APIs at that point of time, some don't. So whoever was ever integrated with the API, they'd be integrated as well. You used to give them Excel sheets every day. We had a okay. team that was to coordinate between them. Yeah. Okay, okay. So then the non-tech having courier companies... Business, yeah, like yeah, 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 went on the tech savvy mode, 10% was on very operational heavy mode. But those operational heavy was mainly people heavy. It was like some support folks used to man- manage it daily. But later, as we moved on, we integrated, we went into deeper, deeper partnerships with these query companies. We helped everyone. We need these kind of parameters. We need these kind of workflows. And as our business grew, every query company started giving us all the kind of tech requirements that we needed. How did you make the experience better for a customer? Say you said returns as an example. There are a lot of areas where some people feel that this business is easy. Like almost lakhs of people have tried this business. Only two, three people have succeeded. So one quantified way of measuring success in this business is if customers, when they do directly or when they deal with people, if they do COD, what's the percentage of delivery in COD? That was very high with Picker. And it like this was one of the key factors. People doing COD used to come to us. Whether you are loyal and trustworthy with COD, yes. Because, you know, everybody in Picker, like every customer of Picker vouched for our COD parcels. Next thing was, if you work directly, are you able to deliver, let's say there are multiple zones, like from Delhi to Bombay, like 90% of the parcels, are they going into 48 hours, 72 hours kind of a thing? Or they are going traditionally in 96 hours to 150 hours kind of a thing. Then we were able to allocate better couriers because of our allocation engine and we were able to deliver faster. So that was another brand thing goes into that. that the last mile, like end consumer believes that I have ordered from a trustworthy place since it has reached quickly. Then the other thing was your NPS. Since last mile experience hampers your NPS, so brands who are working with Picker, is their NPS growing or not? So these were the key factors that we delivered, especially for the enterprise customers. And based on the performance, you were able to scale really heavily on there. And no courier company Courier companies earlier thought that we are helping them build, we are the network channel, later on they went against us and now even they are coming back to us only because whatever courier companies has tried against us has not succeeded at all. You said Picker gave the best COD statistics. How? Was it simply by choice of courier company that if I choose this courier company then it will surely get delivered? Was it as simple as that or was other stuff in your workflow which made COD successful? Yeah, first was this allocation thing and changing this allocation. If today, if like at 2 p.m. I'm allocating something to Blue Dart, but if 6 p.m. on the same lane, I'm allocating something to Express Bees. So being such dynamic and in, into in it was one factor. The other factor was as soon as the parcel was reaching this you know, like, different stages. Like what changed between 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. that you would do? A- that, you know, whether that hub has become the last mile hubs of Blue Dart are incurring certain other challenges or whether Blue Dart in general in last 24 to 48 hours, they started going very low. There are certain outliers in their delivery performance of COD or they are running short of some hubs. If there is some throttling in some hubs, if there is some other challenge expected. So that was 90% tech and 10% controlled as well. Some people used to feed certain mechanisms or certain inputs. That was really valuable. Since you were a 30-40 people company, we could afford to do that. Second was, as soon as the parcel was placed, Picking it up early because if you are not able to pick up those parcels in correct timelines or if other way I would say if you are not able to dispatch those parcels on the same day, then losing one day in between could trigger a 8 to 10% reduction in delivery. 
because what we incurred was the kind of demand that our sellers incurred was impulse buying. And in impulse buying, the faster you reach, the better you deliver. These kind of data insights we had from our previous learnings. Third was as soon as the parcel was getting filled, that you know, delivery boy was saying that the parcel could not be delivered. These are the reasons. And in 2020, we used to deliver SMS to end consumer that, you know, delivery boy is saying this. If you agree, then it's okay. If you don't, then please register. And we used to connect NDR directly from the end consumers. And we used to get it from our customers as well. The fourth point was people who didn't respond on those SMS since only, you know, 20 odd percent people used to respond for the 80 percent odd folks. We used to tell our, our customers that we act, uh, act in like another 24 to 48 hours. We used to push them. Or in some cases, we ourselves used to do calling for them and you charge them for those calling things. And then we ensured with Korea companies that you have to deliver these orders today. These are high priority orders. If you don't deliver these orders, your allocation preference will be reduced. So this thing can also be a 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. thing. That at 2 p.m. we'd be in the morning slots that Blue Dart is not able to deliver high agency parcels. So we might have to reduce their load a bit. Okay, amazing. Yeah. So okay. There were a lot of other nuances as mm -hmm. well around this. So part of it was the pressure that you could exert by saying that your rating will go down if you are not meeting these performance parameters. And part of it was also figuring out who can handle it fastest. And exactly. yeah different players who would be best equipped to handle a certain location, a certain whatever, like a certain time of day and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. So okay. And that was a purely, you can say, a managed experience that we used to like literally ensure that everything that is getting lost is reported faster. Everything that is, that will be delayed, that will not have, you know, we will not be able to influence anything in that building. We used to communicate. And then keeping a good communication between brand and end consumer. These were the three other factors where we thought. And apart from that, managing this whole experience and synchronizing all the platforms. Like if the client is using X partner over Shopify, that X partner also needed to know, picker needed to know, client needed to know, Shopify needed to know the entire life cycle. So manage that entire realization stuff across all platforms real time. So these were a certain other wow factors which really helped us. And like a customer could log into the D2C brand's website and see the progress of the delivery and yeah, yeah. Like how so the delivery anything. Yeah, if there is a delay, that delay gets reported in two mm. minutes to the end consumer. If there is an India that gets reported in less than five minutes to that consumer. Mm. So a lot of you know amazing. Okay. And how did you improve the last mile experience? Because you said that the NPS of the brand would increase if the customer had a good delivery experience. How would you ensure that the person doing the delivery is one, giving a good experience? It's not just about the person. For the end consumer, it's majority the brand only. And for the if the person is doing certain th wrong things, then end consumers can report to us and we will take actions via courier companies. The apart from that, one piece was communication, which I've already demonstrated. The other piece was quicker deliveries. If you are, if we are dealing with, we can say, seven courier partners, there were 12 actually. Out of those seven, three, we know that all seven can deliver this parcel. And all in all seven, we would incur X1, X2, X3, three kinds of cost. But X1 is the most expensive, X3 is the cheapest. So ours, we willingly used to compromise our gross margin and allocate it to X1. So that it reaches faster, it reaches through the best mechanism and 
we used to bear that premium of better delivery experience kind of thing. And apart from that, it was mainly delivering this magic that some sometimes people used to get shipments from Delhi to also in like less than two days. And then we used to observe that how this is happening, what all, whether, you know, this courier, which was not premium, but it is cheaper one, but still they are also able to deliver in, let's say, 1000 pin codes out of 7000, then prioritize these 1000 pin codes. So we used to offer the best flavor of all courier companies in a single offering of picture. And then supporting all these workflows, we had with every courier, there was a single member of our team who used to observe all their workflows, suggest workflows and push courier companies to, to adjust in whatever way they can to, to deliver a good experience to picker. And apart from that, there are a lot of disputes and recon challenges with brand chases with last mile companies. So we had a very streamlined way of handling those things, especially for the enterprises. In the hey, give me some example yeah. of this. So, what are these disputes? So, have? one example would be that weight dispute thing that a lot of enterprises they face weight disputes that they work with courier. And sometimes it's two way, like because weight is something which is very, really much related to pricing. So, in courier companies, pricing happens per weight, weight slab. So, it's a way of making money for companies as well. It's a way of saving money for the sellers as well because seller wants everything to go in 500 grams, which is practically not feasible. So bridging this gap was another product that we developed. We used to get it through sorter images where there is no sorter image. We used to go by train that even these kind of products are getting packaged in this stuff. And if there is, if there are certain anomalies that you're shipping up in a, a small face cream in a big box, which is volumetrically two and a half pages, then highlighting such problems to brands that you don't need to ship in such heavy boxes. You will incur five times extra cost what you're incurring today. So these were other logistical problems we figured out and we solved for enterprises. Not completely, but to the extent possible, we tried solving. Okay. Were you the communication layer with customers about delivery updates and all? Like the, once somebody integrates yes. with Picker, then all customer SMSs, etc. Not the app notification, yeah, yeah. but all the SMSs would be handled by Picker. Yeah, yeah, SMS, emails, and now WhatsApp as well. But uh, say a Blue Dart also sends SMS. So would a customer get two SMSs in such a case? Or? No, first case like Blue Dart, first, like as soon as the parcel is allocated to Blue Dart, Picker will send a message that from your xyz.com, this parcel has been allocated to Blue Dart. This is the tracking ID. Then Picker would send delay messages. These are delayed. Blue Dart doesn't send those delay messages. Then out for delivery message, Blue Dart will send. But we take permission from our sellers that do we also need to send or we have a configuration with Blue Dart that you don't send, only we will send. This config these such configurations will were not available two, three years before, but they are available today. And these are part of you can say collaborations that we have done with the courier companies. We have you know, helped them streamline such workflows on the support channel. Okay. Okay. Then the last mail thing, then the NPS NPS kind of an SMS will be sent by us. Then if any promotion seller. Yeah, if any promotion seller needs to do with those customers on the logistical feedback, those kind of SMS were sent by us. If someone complains, I had a poor delivery, then like giving them a coupon or yeah. something that, that you would handle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Tell me about your fundraise journey. You had raised about two and a half crores till 2019. So what after that? After that, we raised around, uh, I think, okay. somewhere around December 2020 mm-hmm. from Omibiar in that was a $4 million round. Mm-hmm. And... After that, this was when you were literally like doubling or tripling every month post the lockdown. Yeah, I know. 
money came to us in December round almost got finalized in somewhere around August so we raised the round and we thought when we thought that in 2019 we were just figuring out how to scale up things and we'll go for an investment round as well so we went for the investment round in June end and by August I think we had our first term sheet from Guild and in another 10 odd days we got the another term sheet from Ovidyar and also we had four or five other term sheets Finally, in September, or we finalized the construct that we go with Guild and Omidya. And we completed that entire process around somewhere around Diwali. And in December 1st, we got the money. So, this was during lockdown when you were at zero revenue. Did you manage to get so many term sheets? See, in June, we were doing some revenue. Until May, we were at zero revenue. But the things that we promised them, the things that we showcased them were like literally... In the hindsight, in like July, August, September. So those three months, we were growing very heavily. Plus, we were able to develop whatever we promised. And also, we were able to envision next two years of Thicker. That what we will do. We will now, how we will, since we have reshaped uh, the delivery part of it, like we started in 2015. Next thing is we will reshape the warehousing part of it. The next thing we will go into the deeper versions of the checkout. Then next thing is we will disrupt the checkout of traditional checkouts for any e-commerce player. So these, there were a lot of growth happening in the current scenario. There were a lot of future growth prospects and we were able to retain and hire good people. Okay. Like from a VC lens, so, uh, what was it that excited them? That the total, the time of this, like you were now essentially like a partner for any e-commerce company, like giving, helping them. We were almost like any a growth channel for any D2C, emergence and growth channel for any D2C brand. We became like an operating system for them. This was one thing. D2C itself was growing. Now, into post-COVID, D2C contributed around 20% of the total horizontals of the total 100% e-commerce business. Now, with the next five years, they have projected to be somewhere around 43% of this entire business cycle. So, of this entire business. So, there was a huge time. They liked the team. They liked the way that we grinded like over like been spied from being tier one colleges, we would have landed into fancy jobs or we would like be sitting outside India or must be running something else. And But we took a grind and sustained this business for more than five odd years. And then you were able to hire and retain good people and grow business. I think nothing else a VC needs on the domain. Further, it was becoming very much competitive, lucrative as well. Our competitorship profit was also growing heavily. Oh. Tell me about some of these future-looking pitches you had about transforming warehousing and checkouts. Yeah, Akshay, can we get a, like a five, seven minute break? Ha, 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 sure. We probably. You were talking of some future looking stuff around warehousing and checkout experience. Tell me about that. Have you done anything on that so far? Or what, what's the, what was the plan there? Yeah, see, now we had three kinds of customers. So we had an enterprise customers, which we originally started with. Then we had mid-sized customers. I would say I should define it in the way that 10,000 plus order value customer ones and the other enterprise customers. 1,000 to 10,000 were like mid-sized customers and less than 1,000 orders a month were long-tail customers. So we came to a customer base of almost, you can say, 5,000 orders by March 2021. And at that point of time, more than... It's more than 70% of the business was driven by enterprise customers, 20% by mid-size customers and 10% by long-tail customers. So long-tail customers and mid-size customers were a necessity for us. But now the courier companies have also evolved after collaborating and building out a lot of stuff. So we face a lot of threat in enterprise customers that they might go directly with the courier company. 
then uh, we thought that how we can allow these customers to be competitive in the market since D2C became a thing and everybody was opening a brand. So now if one brand succeeds, then there are 100 odd replicas of the same brand with some other brand name. So how can they differentiate themselves? How can they be ahead of people like Amazon and Flipkart in the market as well? And why why people like us, then consumers, we purchase from them in this competitive market? So for that, we thought of looking warehousing at a very different lens. We thought that let's launch a SaaS version of Amazon Prime kind of a thing, where every parcel is delivered to the end consumer in less than 48 hours. And also plug with certain local vendors like we did it in our near model and ensure same day delivery if in some lanes possible, like a Delhi Jaipur, Jaipur to Mumbai or some other thing, same day next day delivery. Just to solve a faster delivery thing. So with faster delivery, like I told, you get to optimize returns. You are able to build a better brand name and also solve on the cost spread. Delhi to Bombay delivery through a normal friend cost you somewhere around 40. But with on the on this warehousing thing, it will cost you somewhere around 25 to 30. Because it will be dispatched from it will be dispatched from Mumbai only. So but to forecast Essentially, the like the Delhi to Mumbai like will be done in bulk. Like instead of sending one one order Delhi to Mumbai each time, you will send 100 pieces in advance because you predict I will have 100 deliveries yeah, this month. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. save that cost. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So mm. we went into this model and now we are doing close to 7.5 crore per month <laughs> in this model itself. So this model is literally scaled up. And in 2021, we did our next Series B round as well. That happened purely through inbound. We got a lot of requests of inbound in our Series A round as well. So we capitalize some of the large-scale funds in the Series B round and it happened to be, I think, somewhere around a $12 million round. That, well, like the money we got was post-COVID somewhere around in August or July end 2021, but it happened there. And then on the other front days, we thought that let's solve the checkout experience. In the checkout, if you know the end customer, show his RTO score to the two our customers that this person will accept only two orders out of 10 or auto-populate is that is taking a sunshine that now people will not have to type addresses. Now, since we are delivering, we have delivered to millions of consumers, people know our brand, pick our brand, and showcase certain trust loyalty factor through these brands. And apart from that, give a unified payment experience, give a UPI handle to solve for faster prepaid shipments and all, and then integrate all the payment gateways. So very much can say checkout plus warehousing plus shipping is a whole package that we were able to act like an operating system for any D2C brand. So this was the vision and we are still solving this vision. From the checkout, we are very nascent, we have, but we have done close to 15 crore GMB to a checkout model in a month now. So doing good progress on all the fronts and then later we launched it for cross-border thing as well, that shipping parcels outside India and going forward and figure out how to enable sales also outside India for these D2C brands. So these were the things. And then in December round, we went for the Series C round. That was a $60 million round. That also got almost fulfilled somewhere around March. And post-March, we sold the complete ship rocket. Wow, 60, 60, 60 million. Yeah, yeah, $60 million. Wow, amazing. Okay. So with so much money in the bank, like $60 million round you raised, why did you sell? $60 million round, we actually let go. We sold it in between only. The kind of valuation that you're getting around 60 million. This offer was even better. And picker plus ship rocket, see ship rocket raised to 100 million, we raised 60 million. We would have burned the same money on the same customers. This entire to 60 million. So we thought of that, you know, together we'll build a better ecosystem, we'll build the products faster and we will capitalize this market more. 
because between us there was too much competition and we were shedding out lot of gross margin in between okay okay got so in a way it gives you more power over the supply which is courier yeah. companies because now you're not competing with each other to retain courier companies and similarly for i guess customers still have a lot of options but for courier companies then you become a dominant source of business yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. Okay, okay. I just want to understand how you felt about selling. I know that it's hard for founders who build something, and you really struggled for those five years. Like, how did you feel about selling? What were you happy at the outcome? Was it with a bit of reluctance you did it? Or... See, the need to sell becomes a key when you take certain decisions. So we were not selling because we were struggling. We sold because it made lot of sense for the ecosystem and for us as well. and financially also the offer was very liquidity okay and it was a mix of cash and equity only cash what yeah it was majorly cash some equity for wow, okay. that equity of ship profit also and the whole combined recurrent ship profit made lot of sense hmm but now isn't there so much redundancy everything that you are doing ship profit would also be doing right like what is the what are those synergies in which you are doing different things and they are doing different things is there any such thing or we are building faster from picker we are doing some part of the warehousing we are doing them majorly focusing on the enterprise business and figuring out growth in the long tail business of ours and ship rocket is mainly focusing in some other tech products we are focusing on building certain other areas where we are not focusing we are focusing mainly on the one one of the areas is ship rocket tech the cross border thing they are completely doing that and apart from that we have distributed some part of the business to them and they have given some part of the business to us so without losing people scale we are able to scale with less redundancy see redundancy will always be there but at this point of time it is generating money no one cares when they less it generates money help me understand what is shiprockets profile your profile is you are focused on enterprise customers majorly what is shiprockets profile what is their product so like so they do the exactly same business but they have built the product mainly for the long tail now they have extended to enterprises we started with enterprises then we extended to long tail when i saw check out they were also doing some part we were ahead there so that business came to us we are housing they were ahead so we gave the majority to them cross border they were ahead we gave the entire cross border business to them so it's like a synergistic way and most of all people in this acquisition merger the management teams are synergizing daily so that is also working daily is acquisition for the mm-hmm. entire org okay amazing i want to understand this checkout part a bit more do you offer intelligence around say some pin codes might have high probability of fraud or when someone puts in an address and you know that this address there is frequently a non delivery happening or there is a fraud happening or there is a return happening and so on and so forth and yeah, there are lot of such intelligences plus you just put your phone number we'll show you your five addresses where you have ordered and somewhere you it was returned somewhere it was delivered we will give you extra loyalty points so you can get discounts we will also give you speed option that you can get this order in 7 days 5 days 2 days or same days with different costing or di- different discount yeah options. different costing yeah yes yeah different okay. costing different discount option. okay amazing so for a for the customer then it becomes more like an amazon experience because he just has to put in his phone number he doesn't have to feed in his address which is very painful to do yeah, every yeah. time you go See, why, why there are returns because people generally buy from multiple places whichever faster goes there or second is people don't trust that website people trust amazon or flipkart third is all any d2c brand is not able to offer such kind of a brand experience like what all they do 
So we are solving all those things. Like, you know, what, how a D2C brand can be much more lucrative to the end consumer. So if spending 1 lakh rupees and getting 500 people to transact, can you transact, can you help around, get them a uh, thousand people to transact around spending the same 1 lakh rupees? So better conversion is also one of the KPIs of checkout. Does a consumer also get that assurance that my returns and all are going to be hassle-free if I'm if it is powered by Pickle, something like that? Like with so the reason why I prefer Amazon, for example, is because I know if anything goes wrong, Amazon will just pick it up, no questions asked. It's very easy to do returns. Yeah. So the brand name for that product is Faster. And we are promising better refunds, faster refunds and hassle-free okay. returns. Uh, okay. Anything that you've done that you the password thing. Amazing. So you're helping build a layer of trust for D2C brands as far as yeah. logistics goes. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So going forward, will you merge into one product or will they continue be, to be two separate products of ShipRocket and Picker? See, we are not yet figuring out any answer to this question for at least another year or so. It seems like they're between products. But one day or so, it might happen or might not. So right now, we are figuring the right data points to take such calls. But as a team, both the financial profit team are now considered as one team. Okay, amazing. And what about you personally? Are you looking to continue or are you now soon going to look for your next adventure? See, for now, I'm willing to continue only. I'm figuring out what all pieces where I can contribute better and faster. I'm thinking that let's see how time goes, how the equation goes and things goes on. Like, hopefully I'm current till now in first four months, I'm enjoying this merger. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of things getting like some expectations that we had that your gross margin will improve, courier synergies will improve, customers will all, we will not size too much in, in front of the same customers. All those things have shaped out really well for me. So it's a good journey going on and hopefully let's see how it goes. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.